Yes, if you couldn't tell, we are excited. How about you? We're so excited. Welcome to CLC. We're so glad that you're here. I'm Tammy. I'm the worship director. And these are our friends today. Palm Sunday Kids Choir. Can we give them a big hand? Come on, we can do better than that. They have worked so hard for you. I know what's going to bless you. And um, we're going to just worship to Jesus this morning. We're going to start with a song called He is the Light. And that's what uh, this in our lives are about. Amen. And especially this week as we remember Jesus uh, being the light of the world. So I hope this blesses you. Siler, the uh, director of adult ministries here, and this is my son. Noah. Um, it's an absolute honor to have you guys here on this beautiful Palm Sunday morning. Uh, whether you are here in person or joining us online, we want to welcome you. Um, at this point in the service, we would love for you to stand, and we're going to join our hearts together and pray the Lord's Prayer. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Oh man, before we get started this morning, just one thing to remember, we may not have, you may not have, they've got palm branches, y'all, but we may not have palm branches, but we have hands. Let me see your hands. These are our palm branches this morning. We're going to worship Jesus. We have voices, and we're going to honor God with our voices today. So join us in worship, and let's just see what God does today.
did for us, God, and the sacrifice that you made. We love you. We worship you this morning. You are worthy. I'll tell you, there's something so special about um, children and just worshiping Jesus with a pure heart. We have a lot of things on our minds sometimes that keep us uh, and hold us back. So to worship more freely and openly like they do, that's my prayer for today. Let's just continue to worship Him as we sing this beautiful song called Gratitude. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you're going through, Jesus knows. And it's no surprise to him whatever you might be facing, um, whatever struggles. So just turn it over to the Lord this morning. Uh, he didn't say it was going to be easy, but he did promise us that he would walk with us through it. Amen. So let's just continue to worship.
for just this time that we have to come together to just declare those things, things that are seen, God, not as weakness, but as surrender, God, that, that we cannot do it without you. We need you, um, not just in, in big moments or in trials or in triumphs, but God, really every moment of our lives, um, they're held in your hand. Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith, and we hold so true to that. Um, we cling to that. And Jesus, we just think to you this morning and, and, and just think about the, just the weight of, of what it is we celebrate um, in, the, in the coming days of just the path that you walked. And God, we have the, the luxury of being on this side of the, of the resurrection and, and knowing. And, um, but I pray that our hearts might see um, just the bigger story that we get to be a part of, that because of your sacrifice and you've, you've brought us into that. And I pray that we would not lose sight of that, Jesus, the, the, the cost that it was for you and um, the celebration because of the power of your name and who you are. You are exactly who you say you are um, both then and today, Jesus. So help us to walk in that, um, to rejoice in that. And I just thank you for our voices that we get to be reminded we're not alone, um, that, that we're here to encourage one another, to lift each other up, and that you're here with us as well. So we love you so much. Thank you for just allowing us to start our time in a time of song and worship to you. We love you. We are expecting of you to do amazing things because you are an amazing God. We love you so much. We thank you, praise you, pray all this in the awesome name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Um, before you grab a seat, if you would, just say hello to somebody around you. Welcome somebody to CLC, and we'll keep rolling.
What is if? If gathering began with three words, disciple a generation. And discipleship is what we are still about. We believe it is the way that Jesus said the world would change. Life on life, coffee dates, in living rooms, in local churches, studying God's word together, making disciples who make disciples. If God is real, then what? The reason that we gather is because we actually want to live out what we say we believe. We don't want to just say, yes, God is real. We want to, as a generation, come together and live out what He's called us to do. We gather because we need each other. We equip because we need to understand who God is. And we unleash you to your places because you're the most effective way to spread the message and hope of Jesus Christ. There will be a day when we are together in heaven and we're looking back at the work we did together. And if gathering is about this dream that we could make the very most of the time that we have to build the kingdom of God. Well, good morning. I hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Palm Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you in our family room or have you joining us online. Um, it's just an absolutely gorgeous day. Um, I'll, I'll be honest and tell you up front that days like today give me VBS PTSD. <laughs> but VBS is coming, right? We've already got like 600 children registered for that, so... Um, I don't know. This is a good, good warm-up, but just, just God, so awesome that you're here today. Um, at Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that when you discover that source of life, that you won't just hold on to it, but you'll tell every single person that you meet about that source of life. And um, that being said, if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you, um, I would so appreciate giving us the opportunity to be able to do that. So a couple quick announcements. In case you don't know, this is, um, we're moving into Holy Week and Easter is next week. So today was good practice for you getting into the parking lot and let's see how you do getting out. If you can keep your salvation in check and keep it all doing well, you'll be fine. Um, Let's just pray a lot and it'll all be good. But uh, next week is Easter and we have four services that we'd like to invite you to. We have a Saturday night service at six o'clock and we have three Sunday morning services, um, 7.30, 9 and 10.45, the first two, the Saturday night and the 7.30 on Sunday morning, um, are, we'll have childcare, but for babies all the way through five years of age, the rest of the children, just bring them on in here. So Saturday night's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that service. It's going to be more of a family service. And by the way, all the services will be the same. Um, and then at the other two services, we'll have full childcare. It's going to be incredible. We'll have the big cross all set up um, with all the flowers and, and just looking forward to it. But we're expecting 2,500 to 3,000 people. And so I'm excited. Just be, come in here and be ready to, and to expect God to do something powerful in our midst. Invite some friends. Maybe come twice. Maybe come on a Saturday night and then also show back up on Sunday. So we're looking forward to it. Uh, the other thing I want to encourage you to do is we enter into Holy Week, which is this week. And there are two services this week that I think if you've not experienced them in your faith, I would encourage you to come check them out. You know, it's easy to go on Sundays, and if you show up today, it's the triumphal entry, and then you show up next week and Jesus is alive, and somewhere you miss the fact that he died, right? Like, it's like party and bigger party. It's, I don't know how it all goes. So I encourage you to come on Wednesday night and and Friday, 6 p.m., both of the services. Uh, Did I say Wednesday? Thursday and Friday. Six o'clock, let me clarify that. Um, the Thursday night is our Monday Thursday. That's a communion service. Um, we have folks that will be dressed up as disciples. We are going to set the stage with a triclinium, which is the table that they would have been sitting at um, or around. And we're going to talk through John chapter 13 and what that meal might have looked like. And then we're all going to take communion together. So I encourage you to come and connect and just kind of hear that message of Jesus in that week between. And then finally on Friday night, Good Friday, um, we're going to study and talk about, we have some some reflections on the last seven things that Jesus says while he's on the cross. And they're so meaningful and so poignant. And really the beauty of Friday is you leave here 
in silence, and then you show up Sunday or Saturday night, and you get to experience just what that's like um, to experience life and, and, um, and Jesus. So those are, those are the services we have this week coming up. And then also, if you've not been baptized on April 16th, which is the Sunday after Easter, we're ready. We're going down to Navarre Beach. We're going to be there at 5.30 p.m. We used to do this in the morning, but we decided sharks feed better at night, so we're going to go over there. And I'm kidding. Um, we're going to go in the evening. It's a little bit warmer. It's easier to get there, get everybody there, and we're just going to have fun. We're going to baptize folks. There'll be a lot of people registered, and if you, even if you've been baptized, come and hang out with us. It's one of the coolest services ever, and so that's going to be the following week. Uh, if you want to register for that, there's two QR codes on the chair in front of you. The one to the left has, uh, has all the information you need for upcoming events, and the one on the right is how you can give and connect and help support community life. Amen? Amen. You guys ready for this, this uh, Palm Sunday message? So I'm, I'm excited to get this out. I've been working about and thinking and processing. I appreciate Clint preaching last week so I can go chase the spring gobblers in the woods of Alabama. They are all alive and well. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out for you. So I'll be hunting um, turkey at Publix after search today. So I heard that the, the rate is pretty good, the rate of recovery at, at Publix. So I appreciate him, him preaching for us. We're in a series called Amazing Grace. And really just looking at, in Scripture, the God that displays or shows or his very nature is that he is a God of grace, amazing grace. Yes, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the offering to us of salvation, that's amazing grace, that free gift that we can accept into our life. No question that's amazing grace, but that's not the only grace that we discover in Scripture. So we've gone back over the last five, six weeks and just tackled scripture, showing you some different areas where God shows up and reveals his grace. And we started all the way back in Genesis chapter three, where Adam and Eve blow it for the very first time. And what does God do? God covers their sin. He provides a sacrifice that covers their nakedness. But then when he removes them from the garden, he doesn't just turn them out on their own. He walks alongside them. He spends time with them. And they, you start to see that transformation happen in their lives. And then we go on through and we looked at Abraham and Isaac and how God provided the sacrifice. And then Kat was one of the ones that taught for us. And she talked to us about the God who is for us. And, and so there's been a lot of instances as we've looked at the God of grace that is present in scripture. And so today, as we move into this story that will we'll cover this, this triumphal entry, I want to tell you that in this story, we have moved into the last week of Jesus' life. So just allow that to settle in. If you're tracking along in the story and you're reading scripture, you want to know that when we start reading today, Jesus has a week or a little bit less than a week left to live. And so as we go through and unpack it, I, I want to give you, kind of help you see what's unfolding in this triumphal entry. What are all those narratives that are crashing together? And what we're going to do is we're going to start in the beginning of chapter 12 by reading verses 1 through 11, which comes right on the heels of a miracle that Jesus performs, which I believe gives us the momentum that yields the triumphal entry. So Jesus, you may not have known this, but Jesus heals a person, doesn't heal him, he raises this person named Lazarus from the dead. Now the thing you need to know about Lazarus is that Lazarus wasn't dead one day or two days or three days. This wasn't just your run-of-the-mill resurrection from the dead. He was dead four days. So in the Jewish world, that means he was not only dead, he was dead dead. Okay, can we all agree? So when Jesus does this miracle, he kicks off this wave of momentum that just has everybody in this fever pitch, wondering if he could be the Messiah, wondering if he was going to be the one that would rule and reign. And, and so to make matters worse, he doesn't just do this in any random place. He does this in Bethany, which is on the outskirts of Jerusalem, right near the time for the Passover when everybody is gathered together. Biblical scholars believe, Clint, I worked in the phrase biblical scholars, see that? Um, right? But biblical scholars believe that there would have been over two million people descending on Jerusalem, waiting in anticipation to see what God was going to do with this Roman empire and all of the garbage that they were dealing with. Surely God was going to do something special. And they heard about this Jesus and now this miracle. And I mean, everything is pushing in this direction. And so let's just start reading verses one through 11, and then we'll come back and we'll set up, set up the triumphal entry. Chapter 12, verses one, it says six days before the Passover. So we're in the last week of his life. 
Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. That's an understatement. Verse 2. It says, there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Now, I love that John gives us this story, allows us to be present in this moment, but, but here's some things that maybe you don't see when you first read across it. So um, you remember the story of Martha and Mary that you read about in Scripture before, where Martha was running around working, and what was Mary doing? If, if you're a person that likes to work, you think Mary was slacking, right? But she wasn't. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, and she was learning. And so you already kind of know that these are the temperaments of Mary and, and Martha. So we see Mary doing what, Martha doing what Martha does. She's working. She's getting ready for this meal. We see Lazarus doing what probably only Lazarus can do. He was the one that was raised from the dead, so everybody wants to come see Lazarus. So he's just sitting there at the table while everybody is gawking and asking questions. And, and then we find Mary. And this is so profound to me that once again, we find Mary at the feet of Jesus anointing his feet. Now, so oftentimes in this Bible, there's a real patriarchal nature of the Bible. And so when we get to the New Testament, you start to see Jesus, the scripture, the apostles elevate the role of women in scripture. And I love what, what, what John does for Mary, because when you go and study the life of Mary, you see her, this Mary, not Mary the mother of Jesus, but this is Mary, Martha's sister. You find her three times in scripture, and all three times she's at the feet of Jesus. The first time was the one we talked about where she was listening to him teach. The second time was when her brother Lazarus had been dead, and she goes and she falls down at Jesus' feet, and she, and she says, if only you would have been here, it would have been different. And then this time where now she's worshiping. And so we have this beautiful example of Mary who is, has just a, a profound faith, and she's pouring out her heart to Jesus, setting the example for one of the great places that we could find ourselves, learning, praying, seeking Jesus. And so you find that setting, and then we get to verse four. And I love John, because John is always going to give you the backstory. Now next week, um, we're going to use the gospel of John to talk about the resurrection story. And uh, here you get to get a little taste of it. John gives you a synopsis of what's going on behind the scenes. So verse four, he says, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, so he gives you that little snippet of information, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now that sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Like why would you waste this perfume when you could have sold it? 300 denarii is an annual salary for a laborer during this time. So Mary may have used all of the money that she saved for an entire year for, for, this, for this moment. And Judas is, is questioning her why you would even do this. John gives you better information. Verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and he used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And so Jesus protects her integrity, her moment of worship, and, how, and, and gives her credit for being the one who anoints her and even prepares him for this last week and for the burial that he's, he's going to be facing here pretty soon. Now, verses 9 through 11, you can read through this, and there are times when I read scripture and I'm like, well, you can't make that up. Like, you'd never put that in scripture because it just doesn't seem to make sense or it's too over the top. And so, so check this out, verse 9. It says, when the great crowd of the Jews learned that, that he was there, they came out not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Here it is. Verse 10, so the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well. I reckon I'm going to have to kill you now. Like, it's interesting when you read scripture. You ever wonder and think, like, what are these guys thinking? Like, he was dead for four days. God brought him back, and they're like, no, nah, we're going to send him right on back. Maybe God will keep him this time. Like, that's their plan. It's just, you read it and you're like, really? That was their plan? Like, there was enough witnesses and people that were there that there's no way they could have refuted what took place. So they said, we're going to put Lazarus to de death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. So you get to see a picture now of where that ruling religious order was. 
They were trying to maintain the status quo. They were afraid of what was going on. People were losing their minds, chasing Jesus, and they wanted none of it, even to the point of them breaking their own law, which is interesting, to kill these other two to stop what was happening. So you can see this this thing that's about to happen, or maybe that tells you about the fear that they have of the momentum that is being built. And so now we're going to move into verses 12, and I'm going to read all the way down through 27. But let me just say this. Now, this set of scriptures is so interesting and sometimes hard to teach because there's so much that comes together in these first three verses. You ever, you ever been in a moment where, where kind of the moment was lost on you and you're like, I don't know what just happened, but it was really awesome. Or you see two people and, and like you, you, you don't spy on people, right? You don't, I know you do. But you see something happen and you're like, wow, I, I wonder what happened over there. And so you just kind of in your mind wonder, you know, what was taking place in this moment the, the scriptural insight, the cultural nuance, the just go down the list, all comes crashing together in three verses. And it's, it's one of those things where as a biblical teacher, when you see them, you're, you just start salivating until you realize that you could teach an entire series on these and never fully cover everything that happens. But it's a moment where when you see it, you're like, oh, I bet they were so excited to see what God was doing, just taking it all in, holding on to what God was doing, and this is going to be such a profound moment. And so let me read it for you. Verse 12, it says, The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming from Jerusalem, or coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, and as it is written, do not be afraid of your daughter, or um, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. In three verses, you hear about palm branches, you hear about um, what they're shouting, Hosanna, you hear about this donkey, uh, you hear scripture from Zechariah in, in, in chapter 9, verse 9. All of that crashing together. And also, let me tell you another piece of the narrative that would be so easy for us to miss. That this date is so particular for the Jewish nation. That according to scripture, on the 10th day of Nisan, that Jewish families that were participating in the Passover would go and they would select their lamb that they would keep in their household or with their family for at least three days until Passover came. And then that would be the lamb that they would use to, um, as a sacrifice to cover their sins. And so there was this understanding and narrative of Passover. So Jesus, the day that he rides in on this donkey is the most significant day for Israel in terms of Passover. And so on the day when families were choosing their lamb, the lamb of God enters into Jerusalem and you see this party break out. And Israel, the Jews, Choose him to be the one. That, there's so much symbolism that's crashing together in this moment. And so when you read it, you can't help but be excited. You're just salivating over what's going to happen next. But listen to verse 16. I love this. Surely the disciples are right on point, right? Verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. They completely missed it, y'all. Had no idea. The ones that walked around with him for three years, the ones who he told over and over and over again, the ones he preached to, completely whiffed. They missed the whole thing. It, it blows me away to read that. It says they didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So it wasn't until after the resurrection and after probably Jesus sat down with him, as scripture tells us, and explained to them all the things in scripture that were related to him. They, they had no clue. They were a part of the crowd. They were celebrating what was going on, but in their minds, like the crowd, they were probably thinking of, of a king in terms of David, that David was gonna help remove this Roman oppression. And so they were all in in the middle of what was happening, but didn't understand the significance of the moment. Verse 17, so the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. So they continued to steer, uh, share the story and stir the crowd up even farther. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went out to meet him. So people were still running to see what was going on. And here's verse 19. This sets up for us. John is going to give us that insight as to what the Pharisees are thinking. The Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. 
You ever watched uh, news and just said to yourself, the world has lost its mind? About every single day, right? Um, that's exactly what they're doing. They're watching what's happening and they're thinking, these guys have lost their minds. Why does John tell us that? I think to let you know the amount of energy, the crowd, what was, what was unfolding. It was so much so that they had already put out an arrest warrant for Jesus. They couldn't arrest him. They couldn't go get him because there was too big of crowds and they knew they would get in trouble if they did. So there was nothing that they could do about it. Now, we're about to transition. So I'm going to slam on the brakes and I need to explain something to you real quick. Before we move into verse 20, I'll, let me read verse 20. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. Now John switches gears and he goes from scripture, uh, prophecy, Jesus teaching the disciples and the Sadducees or the Pharisees, and he switches over to this group of, of Gentiles or this group of, of Greeks. Now, Clint talked about this a little bit last week. John does something so interesting in the biblical text. Now, if you remember, and we, we talked about this a little, a little way back, that when John wrote the Gospel of John, he was in his 80s, some, some even believe maybe in his 90s, he was pastoring a church in Ephesus, and he would have had people in his church that were Jewish, but also Gentile or Greek-speaking. And so whenever he wrote his gospel, he always had two threads running through the whole thing, where he dealt with the Jewish side of things, but then he also dealt with the Gentile side of things. And so last week, as, as Clint talked about the, the Samaritan woman at the well, if you went one chapter before, you had the story with Jesus talking to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave that whole part of the narrative. And then the next story in the next chapter was God dealing with the Samaritans. And so these two threads run all the way through. So in the first part of the, the, um, the triumphal entry, you have all of this scripture and all of this prophecy and all of these things unfolding. And if you were Jewish and you knew the date and you knew the time and you knew Passover and you knew all those narratives, that should have said something very clearly to you. But now he's going to give us the other side of it. He says, now among those who went up to worship in the festival were some Greeks. These could have been people that were there just watching. This could have been people that were Greeks that were interested. There were people that would actually convert to Judaism. But there were many that would be so close as to convert, but they, they wouldn't go through circumcision. So like they would be almost Jewish, but they were interested in what was happening. And so they were studying. Biblical scholars don't know who they were, but John switches the story. And he switches to a farming narrative. So from scripture to something natural to help us understand. Verse 21, they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and said to him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Now I love this because you guys will remember this. In scripture, whenever Jesus would heal somebody early on, what would he say to him? Say, don't tell anybody. And what would they do? They tell everybody. And he would heal somebody and say, don't tell anybody. And they'd, heal, they'd, they'd tell everybody. And so then what would Jesus have to do? They'd move. They'd go across the other side of the lake or they'd come back to this side of the lake or they would go up north or, they, or Jesus would go off into the wilderness for a while and he would pray. And, and it was almost like Jesus was moderating the tension and trying to keep momentum just under the surface enough to build and move people in the right direction. But here you see Jesus now fully embracing what's taking place. And he says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And basically it's game on, let's go. And then he speaks to them in terms that they would have understood, not scriptural, but in, in literary, in liter in terms. Let's just go there because I just lost English. Verse 24, it says, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So a farming reference, talking about seed, something that would have made sense to them, something that does make sense to us. Maybe we don't understand the Jewish scripture, but we're all farmers, at least in your backyard, you're digging holes and planting tomatoes or whatever, right? So you know seeds go in the ground and eventually, boom, something else pops up. And so he gives them this narrative, but listen to how he follows it with this foreshadowing in verse 25. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Very clear, as Jesus lays out this understanding that it's going to cost you to follow me, it's going to cost you your life. Now, here at first blush, it sounds like that's a different message to the Greeks. 
than it is to the Jews. But if the Jewish nation would have been understanding what was going on, the Passover lamb entering into Jerusalem, the message would have been clear. One life lost for all, the life that was given away. It's the same message just spoken to the Jews and then spoken to the Gentiles. Does that make sense for everybody? So John is helping us to understand what's, what's unfolding. <clears throat> and in verse 27, and we'll end with this. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Now you say, Scott, that sounds weird, like where that's at. It's not the Garden of Gethsemane. John tells us about the Garden of Gethsemane, but he doesn't give us the story of Jesus in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. And so for some reason, he pulls it to the front and he attaches it to this awareness of the hour or the time or the, 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 the realization of what's about to happen. And I honestly believe that for John, it's part of his literary use. The hour's not here, the hour's not here, the hour's not here. Here's the hour, and who am, what am I going to say? I'm not going to receive this hour. No, I'm full in. And so John uses that as the time to say, this is that moment that I was brought to this planet to be a part of. And so he kind of gives us that understanding of the hour and, and really the, the ultimate awareness of, of what was unfolding in, in Scripture at this time. Cool story? I like it. There's so much in it. It's a lot. I think for me the difference um, this year, and every year I read it and I find something that's just a little bit different. Um, the difference for me this year is that I, I think for the first time I became aware of the momentum, the pattern of momentum. Uh, didn't, didn't realize that, I, I think I had always thought it's the triumphal entry, it's the beginning of Passover, people heard about Jesus and so they were excited when he showed up until I realized that Jesus was in control of the narrative the whole time and led to that moment and then you see all of that scripture fulfilled and it wasn't just happenstance, it was on purpose, it was with purpose and all of it falls right into place. And sometimes we question where God is. I'm gonna tell you, God knows. And God's on point, and he's never late. He's always on time for his will and his kingdom and his design. And I think that's exactly what we see unfold here, that Jesus navigated and brought all of this right to where it needed to be at exactly the right time. And so for me, that was, that was so powerful to see that. But um, I, I'm amazed when I look at the scripture at all the things that crash together. As a preacher, it's so hard to teach this chapter because there are too many things. Like, we could teach this forever, you got the palms, you got the donkey, you got the, the shouts of acclamation, you've got the scriptures, you got the Passover, the selection of the lamb, you have Lazarus, you have the rejection of the Pharisees, and then you have it all together, Jesus coming in, and it all just piles into this one particular moment. And you think to yourself, yeah, so excited the disciples got to see this. And here's the truth, they completely missed it. They completely missed it. Right, like for me, I would think that they would be on point. They walked with him, they talked with him. Scripture tells us over and over and over and over again that he warned them, he gave them the insight, and somehow they missed it. He tells us in John 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. And so here's what I would say to you. We've been looking at grace in this series. Where is the grace found in this chapter or in this set of scriptures? To me, the grace is found in the fact that these people who walked with him and talked with him and did so much with him that completely missed it, were the ones that God ultimately used to change the world. That despite their epic failure, they were the ones that helped to change the world forever. And I'm gonna tell you there is grace in that message. When you go and you understand, he, he tells you later that, that they discovered and they understood when Jesus was glorified. For me, what that means is that after they realized the cost they understood the moment. And for them then, the triumphal entry meant this, that God didn't send Jesus to win an election. He sent Jesus to save the world. And it would ultimately cost his life and their life, and if we're gonna be honest, our life. So let me read for you this scripture once again, found in 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. This triumphal entry could have been conceived and understood to be a political campaign. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, and people were excited because they were tired of Rome. 
They wanted a king that was going to lead them and guide them and overthrow Rome and push them out. And so they were all in on that. And do you know, once things started to go south, what they did? They said to themselves, well, surely he's not the one because their expectations were wrong. And how often do we do the very same thing in our lives that we, we choose Jesus, but we choose Jesus to be a governor. It's not we give our lives to Jesus. We give, we say, here's our life and let's just add Jesus, like mixing in a flavor. Like I'm going to try this, like a self-help book. I'm going to try and do a little bit different and we're going to go in this different direction and, and it doesn't work because that's not the intended way. The intended way is we take and we yield our lives and that life goes away and what comes forward from that life is something completely brand new that offers life and it makes us more than the sum total of who we are. We become part of this story, part of a greater kingdom narrative and then we become the ones who are part of changing this world forever. It's not just, God, I'm gonna give you my heart because this understanding and narrative of salvation, that's one piece of it. What about giving God our marriage or giving God our children or giving God our finances or giving God our talent and saying, God, I'm good at what I do. Is there a way that you can use it? Show me how you can use it. And I'm gonna tell you when you're willing to allow those things to fall into the hands of God, what God does with them is something that is so beautiful. And so when I look at this narrative and I think of, of this triumphal entry, there's so much going on. And here's the truth. Many of us, we have no idea what's unfolding around us. God is moving pieces. He's loving on our family. He's dropping people into the lives of our children. He's going ahead. He's working on tomorrow. He's solving things that we dealt with yesterday. And we have no clue. And let me tell you something. It's okay. Because the way that I understand and the way that I know God is because God is a God of amazing grace, at some point, he's going to reveal it to you and you're going to look back and say, there's no way I get here unless God did that there. And then you start to see the unfolding of this story in our lives. Amen? And so my prayer for you today is that you would be willing to open up your heart, maybe yield a part of your life, maybe yield all of your life, but start this process where you just entrust God with those things that you most hold dear. I'd like to invite the communion stewards to come forward. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful day to take communion because we get to experience and participate in the life of Christ right here, right now. You know, it's, it's so easy to think that, that communion is just, a, just something that we do that once a month we're going to gather around this table and we're going to take bread and we're going to eat it and we're going to dip it in some juice and it's going to be awesome. Well, I want you to know there is so much, and, and you may not understand it. And based on what we just studied, it's okay. Because there will come a time where you realize that when you take this and it becomes a part of your life, it gives you nourishment, it gives you strength, and it allows you to go out and for your life to be broken and for your life to be given away. That's what we allowed to become a part of us. And it's so much more than that. Around this table, as we are a part of communion, we get to experience peace and healing. We find hope. We find strength. We'll find words of affirmation for the things that we're walking through that remind us to stay the course in the things we're dealing with. We'll find the God that rescued us, that we're praying will rescue our children. Because they honestly believe that that God is present and active and moving today. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, whatever it is that's inside of you, entrust it to God today and see what he can't do. It was on that night that he was betrayed that Jesus, he took bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it, and he turned and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. As often as you eat, do so in remembrance of me. And then in the same manner, he took the cup, and he said, this cup represents a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink, do so in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for these moments and these times where, as a people, we can come together and we can gather and, and, and remember 2,000 plus years ago, the God who, who gave his life so that we could experience life. So Lord, I know this is it's bread in its natural sense and it's juice in its natural sense, but there's something so much more that you're a Holy Spirit, the power of your presence can quicken our spirits and bring us to life even around this table. Whether we need healing or hope or discernment or whatever that is, God, we just trust that you can bring those things about in our lives. 
We love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as you guys go ahead and get set up, a um, little bit of instruction. So as you're with us today, you do, you do not have to be a member of Community Life to take communion with us. You're here, and you are welcome. You're part of the family, so you're welcome to take communion with us. Uh, we take communion by intinction, or we receive communion by intinction. Um, when you come forward, you hold your hands out. We'll place a piece of bread in your hand. Then you take that bread, you dip it into the cup, and you, you can receive communion that way. Or if you're nervous about germs and some of the things that are going around, each station has a little basket of individually wrapped communion elements, and you can receive um, communion in that way. On the stage, we have baskets. Every time we receive communion, we, we um, take up a, a communion offering, and we use this resource to help with water bills, electric bills. And you guys are such a blessing to people that are really, really, really walking through some very difficult times. So, so thank you for that. And then last but not least, I think we have a, ooh, what was bad? Um, a sixth section over here. So um, for everybody that's on that wall and back in that back corner, if you'll just make your way down to the front there, you'll, that'll be the group that'll serve you down there. Now the table is set. Oh, gluten-free alternative. I'll be down here. That's a lot of announcements. Uh, gluten-free alternative. I'll be down front and be happy to serve you if you come this way. Um, so I invite the first few rows to go ahead and stand. Exit your row to your right and come forward as you're able. One gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. But I am not forsaken For by my side The Savior, He will stay I labor on In weakness and rejoicing For in my need His power is displayed To this I hold my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead oh the night has been won and i shall overcome yet not i but through christ fate I dread I know I am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this I hold my sin has been defeated Jesus now and ever is my plea Oh, the chains are released I can sing I am free Yet not I But through Christ in me
into scripture and we see what's in front of Jesus this Holy Week. As we look forward to the celebration of Palm Sunday, those deep conversations on Thursday nights, uh, the pain and the difficult, the trials of Friday and the, the ultimate victory on Sunday. Our worlds may represent some variation of that in this season, the highs and the lows, but it's my it's my comfort knowing that God is with us every step of the way, through the highs, the ups and the downs, through the painful times and the celebrations. And we hope that you know that he's there for you as well in this time. If this is your first Sunday with us, we invite, uh, invite you out into the lobby as soon as the service is over into the Next Steps room. Uh, we'd love to connect you. If you're looking for another way to grow deeper, maybe you're like the disciples and you're like, I don't know what's going on around here and you wanna find out a way to get plugged in, we certainly would love to get you connected. But would you stand with me as we pray before we leave this place? Let's pray. Daddy, we love you. God, we're giving you thanks. On the celebration of Palm Sunday and hearing the voices of our children singing, God, the day is good. But God, as we go throughout this week, maybe faced with challenges and struggles, difficult conversations, God, as we face the, the, the trials and the tribulations, we know that you're gonna be with us and go before us. God, we thank you for inviting us to be your people, to be the ones to go and tell your story. And God, we just love you. Be with us as we leave this place. Give us the strength and the energy, the abilities and the courage to go and to do and to step into the life that you've called for us. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a wonderful week.